You are listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash CivCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of CivCast. My name is Kyle, and today I'm joined by a special guest host. We have Valter joining the show, a.k.a. Innocentia69, who is our uh, guest host a couple, about a month or so back. Hi, Valter. How are you doing? Hello, Internets. Hello, world. Hi, Kyle. Great to be back. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. So for anyone that didn't see the tweet I just threw out there, um, Dan came down with a, a bit of a, an illness, a sickness, some sort of cold thing. That Poor guy. Sounds like he's um, you know, just suffering through that at the moment. So there goes Best his weekend. Dan if he's listening. What was that, Valter? Best wishes to Dan if he's listening. Yes, exactly. I, I hope he's feeling better. It kind of you know, sucks to get sick over the weekend and you know, have those plans thrown off, but... I'm mm. sure he will persevere and make it through and be back for next week. Um, I did want to give people a quick shout out, though. Um, we were going to come back with new CivCast rules uh, for the challenge this week, but I didn't want to bug Dan with any of that and make him think of rules while he's, you know, languishing in his illness. So we'll take that. Uh, we're going to get you guys new information on that next week. Uh, but for today, Valtor and I are just going to hold down the fort here, persevere, and uh, talk a little bit about what we've been playing in the last week. Uh, so for me, Valtor, I, you and I did this really cool YouTube kind of mini collaboration the one day, just out of the blue. I was yeah, streaming. Was you helped me out with some awesome tips. You were basically the backseat driver, um, giving me some larger perspective for strategy. And that's still the goal. Um, that worked out very well for us that day, but then my internet setup has been a little bit wonky and didn't let me stream too well. My friend and I kind of fixed it last night, so YouTube's going to be back on the horizon, but I've still got a little bit of tweaks um, for that setup. But, but how have things been on your end? Have you done any, any cool games lately? I've been a bit trying Civilization. I kind of got almost like... I could feel the the burnout on Civilization VI coming, so I mm -hmm. toned it down a little bit. But I, I have been streaming, and mostly when I'm playing Civ VI for myself, I'm just trying new things, trying to go out of my comfort zone and get familiar with the games in new ways. That's exactly it, and I think that's very smart of you to recognize that you got a burnout coming, because uh, I've gotten a little bit prepared in seeing that in myself, too. Like, I can tell when I'm not as excited about something and it's so much better to just give it a week off something like that that you can recoup and uh, come back to it with some more passion instead of overdoing it and then not wanting to play it for even longer yeah exactly I mean I have about 250 hours in right now which is quite a lot I would say yeah I think so but seeing reddit it's not that much yet <laughs> what's the highest number you've seen on reddit so far if you can think of one off the top of your head I think around 600, which is insane Ooh, in my opinion. What does that even equate to? What's uh, what's 600 divided by 24? Let's see. So 720 is 300 days, I believe. Uh, so so like, six, you said 600 divided by 24. Looks like they that would be 25 consecutive days of Civilization 6. Oh, that's Just nonstop. Oh, that's, 
That's a lot. That is a lot. I can't even wrap my head around that. I am no doctor, but I'm going to recommend that those people get up and walk around for a minute, uh, get some circulation back to your legs. Um, that is a I mean, very long civilization time. Civilization series is famous for having its <laughs> own like AA meeting kind of thing. <laughs> it's the the one more term uh, society, I believe it's called, or something like that. It really so, is known for that. Yeah. It's just a game that, um, you know, you get into it and it's so easy to, you just really truly get stuck in that one more turn mindset. You've got a, 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 you know, one more city to conquer. You've got to build that last district. You have to get it to whatever point before you're happy and calling it quits for the night. But that can exactly. mean hours. <laughs> what looks like you're going to wrap in 30 it's minutes. It's just like, just this little thing so I don't forget tomorrow when I play uh -huh. again. And there are a million other tiny things that you don't want to forget about always coming up. And that just means you keep playing on forever and ever. And then the game is finished and you're like, oh, crap, it's like 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's 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 my that's my life in a, in a nutshell with uh, with <laughs> Civ. I mean, at, at the last couple games I've started have very much been like that. I'm always trying to be a little bit more conscious these days of like, OK, it's midnight. I should maybe really start to seriously wrap this up and and come back to it with fresh eyes tomorrow. But that's a hard skill set to even get yourself into or a hard habit to get yourself into of, um, you know, get disconnecting from it. It's a hard game to put aside, which is a testament to that. Absolutely. Them. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great game. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it's really like saying something. I believe this is the first game that's shipped out of the box with a timer on the toolbar on the top, actually lo showing local time next to the turn uh, time. Yes. Um, do you find yourself... Uh, I, I, I don't even know if I'm really using it. Do you think that you are? Like, I'm not sure if I'm kind of... I'm sure I'm taking it in on, like, a subconscious level. It's just more details up there. But do you find yourself really using that, that time up there to keep your gameplay in check? Or how, what do you think? Well, personally, not, because I always play in Windows most these days. Uh -huh. So... I just have it in, in a window and I pay more attention to my taskbar for time uh, and stuff like that. That makes so sense. So I personally don't use it, but I can totally imagine a lot of people are playing this full screen uh, without the window mode and then you don't have your taskbar timer or something uh, there. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and when you don't have that, yeah, so you're you're in your house already playing this game. You don't have a timer up on the screen for the past games. And that is a very easy way to understand how <clears throat> how you can lose almost your entire day or, or night to it when you can't tell what the the, the time is outside. Uh, it, it makes it even harder to realize, you know what. I remember people modding it in. I think I think it was with mods that it was done in previous games that people requested literally like, "Please give me the time of day because I kind of need it." Yeah, otherwise, goodbye weekend. You've just, you know, put 48 hours <laughs> into your game of Civ 6. Exactly. Um, hey, I wanted to talk about this. I was reading and saw Kotaku weighed in on uh, the latest DLC. And since you're here, and I don't know, I don't remember if you and I have talked about the Poland DLC, but so Kotaku wrote this nice little article about it. Um, they just published this. I think it was just earlier in this week. It was the 9th of January, so just a little bit ago. And they were talking about the DLC. And so for anyone that um, has missed it or anyone catching up on any of the news, uh, a couple weeks back, I think it was in December, um, 
Firaxis added in Poland and a Viking DLC to Civilization VI. Uh, that was actually pretty recently. So mixed yeah. reviews. Dan and I had been talking about it. Um, we had some people that were upset that uh, it wasn't the best utilization of their pre-order bonuses and things like that. There were, you know, if you pre-ordered Civ, it said you were going to get about four packs of DLC. Some people felt that this was um, not really any sort of bonus to them. It wasn't a discount. It didn't come at a reduced price. They just got it for the same price. So have you played around with Poland, any of these scenarios, Wouter? Yeah, I've played around with Poland, and I, I must say I really like Poland. The scenarios are, have never been my thing. Mm -hmm. I think I might have never played the Civ Five scenarios. In Civ Four, I did play them, but never in Civ Five. even. It's just I don't find them that interesting. No, I mean, I, I, I'm in agreement with you, and this isn't to bash on anyone out there that does like a scenario. I feel like Dan and I might have come down heavy on that in the past couple weeks, but I, I just, uh, when you have the tools to create a brand new world from scratch, I, the scenario doesn't really catch me as much. I'd rather just make a fractal map and like let it go crazy and explore something like that instead of a lot of preset boundaries for what I'm doing. Exactly, and I think that is the charm of civilization games in general. But that being said, I'm totally not bashing on people who do like the scenarios because I know there are enough people who love playing the scenarios, and I think the scenarios that they have, well, uh, in the game right now, Civ Six, are not that bad. I agree. I, I think that some of those, um, the the the, uh, the scenarios that give you different end game victory conditions, sort of things, like the. Uh, the one, some of the ones that launched with the the original game, there was, oh, I think like, oh, maybe this wasn't original, but there was something with bombards and cannonades or something like that. Like you um, were fighting with different units, different specifications. I think there's that one scenario where you are in early game and you're just supposed to destroy as much stuff as possible. And the person with the most like domination score points or something like that wins. I think those are unique little multiplayer challenges. I think they also have a Cold War yeah. one out there. I think that yeah, those there's a Cold War one as well. Yeah, I, I think those are neat. I think that's a neat idea, but I don't see myself doing it in single player ever. Um, yeah, I mean that's I what they designed. Like they know a Civ game takes a long time to play normally, and you want to play Civ with your friends as well because you love the game, they love the game. Hey, let's play together. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And not everybody has the time dedic to dedicate uh, a full four-hour play, which would be on online speed a full game. Mm -hmm. Or the willingness to go like, okay, we're going to save now and come back next time we both have a chance. So Firaxis really designed these scenarios for quicker multiplayer rounds. Yes. And yeah, I, I think that is a smart strategy. It's catering to something people want mm -hmm. and probably also needed without them knowing that they needed it so i i love them i find a really good design but it's just not for me yes i'm 100 behind you and and to that note um i think i think that's a good point because the other night my friend and i were considering playing some civ but it was too late in the night and he was like you know that's just going to be too long and so i get that you know it's it's one of those things that 
you really do have to set that time aside in your day. Even you and I, when we were doing that backseat driving sort of YouTube stream, I think um, I think you got on there and said, hey, I have like a, an hour or so to uh, watch you play and kind of do this. And then I looked over at the clock and you and I had been playing for somewhere around two to three hours. So we yeah, well surpassed our original uh, thing. You were up until who knows what time at night. It was... What, probably 2 a.m. for you or something crazy? I think it was even 2.30 in the morning for me, yes. It's, uh, it was late. Yeah, that um, that happens. That happens with this. So um, I pulled up on the Civilization Wiki here. I don't know if this page is fully flushed out, and I'm not sure if I'm just using the wrong names for some of these things, but they're listing um, just two scenarios here for Civ Six: one that came with the Viking DLC pack and uh, one that came with Poland. So... Dan and I never, I don't think we talked about this on the show at all, but when you buy the Polish DLC, there is another scenario in there. It is the Ottoman invasion of Central Europe. Um, That is something that I really, it slipped under my radar. I didn't realize that that was a new scenario pack that came with Poland. I really only had recognized the Viking one. Um, In that article. Yeah, and and that makes like the the Viking pack seem even a little bit worse, wouldn't you say? Like there is also a scenario with Poland. And then you have a fleshed-out scenario that also costs five dollars with some added benefits. Yeah, it um it kind of deflates like the value of one of those packs. But I feel like I've been super critical on it lately. Yeah, but we've gone that route. Uh, let's yeah, not go there again. I'll I'll steer away. I'm just gonna recap. Kotaku they basically said they were a fan of Poland. They were a fan of the Viking um scenario itself. But they did feel that that Ottoman one was a bit lackluster. They said in their words, I think it was thin, they called it. It was, um, it just wasn't set up to the degree that the Viking one was. The Viking um, scenario, I guess, has a lot more pre-settled cities. So you're actually playing in like, um, you're really getting like a full scenario there as compared to the Ottoman invasion, which I guess you don't start with settled cities and it's kind of like a free-for-all horde sort of situation so um you take that for what you will i think it's something interesting if anyone out there listening um wants to try these scenarios if you're a scenario player that'd be awesome if you go try it out let us know your thoughts send some screen caps if you do go and play one i'd just be interested to hear from a scenario player what they think about them because that's not me and i don't want to you know, be talking for them the whole time. So again, you can send that stuff to civcastpodcast@gmail.com. But I'd love to share that on the show if anyone gets around to it. And, and also, the thing what 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 is with the scenario? It it is I think from Ferox's point of view, mm-hmm. trying to do the thing what they did with the multiplayer scenarios, make the like the shorter yeah uh, like turn limit scenarios, trying to do something, trying pull that over to like a single player scenario as well so that if you have the Civ itch but don't want to start a new game you can just pop in a smaller scenario that takes only 50 turns and play the game still in this kind of way and in that I think they pre-succeeded well Uh, I think the concept actually is quite interesting I remember from I believe it was Civ 4 where you had a similar kind of scenario but it was more of a tower def- defense kind of game uh, where you survived rounds and every round you got gold and you could, you could buy tech and units and buildings in your city and stuff like that and just had to survive every wave pretty much. Uh, and that this feels really uh, similar to that idea. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I I like I like the concept of it. I'm actually just curious. I need to get into one of these multiplayer scenarios, so at least I can report back on that. So I need to, um, yeah, maybe we can all organize a game to at least try one of those out sometime and and do one online. Maybe you, Dan, and I could do something like that. I know he wants to get in on our YouTube time, so we're going to have to to set one of those up soon, I think. That'd be a fun way to get into it and at least say we did it and tried it and Give our give our final thoughts on that. Um, yeah, it's a perfect way to test them, I would say. I think so. And I, and I want to talk about another little piece of news here, which is great for people on Linux, that um, Aspire, I believe that's the name of their company, Aspire Media, they do, they're the ones that ported uh, Civilization to the Mac and uh, Mac OS. So they are working on a Linux port now, as well as a Steam OS port. So if you're someone that's using some of the new Steam uh, hardware, I assume that's going to make it very accessible for you. And for the Linux users out there, I found this very, very interesting that Aspire Media's vice president of publishing uh, got out there and said, this is by far the most requested game we get asked for by the Linux community, that being Civ 6. And uh, so much so they were given, quote unquote, uh, tokens of appreciation that I guess fans of Civ uh, sent daily inquiries and about the game when it's getting ported over, as well as sending uh, 12 dozen warm chocolate chip cookies and squishy Linux penguin toys for their entire office at Aspire. And I just wanted to call that out in the show because I thought that was really, really cute Um, and and a really nice, positive way to kind of win them over to port that game. (laughs) And And it's a a great great point of view and like the community is really tight and I really wish the best for us all. Exactly. I was going to say, in this day and age where people are so, you know, it's easy to come off as demanding when you're you're asking for a game to be ported over. And you could even make the argument that, you know, hey, it, it should be like this should come early whatever your your argument or stance is on it it's cool to see the community giving back in such a nice way and such a creative way too i mean who doesn't want yeah some it's a great it's linux a great uh, idea of gifts <laughs> linux plushies i mean if you know the penguin they, they they're talking about i mean it is adorable oh it totally is um let me i'm trying to pull up uh i know the penguin from the picture but what a plushes for it look like linux plush oh he's cute yeah Exactly. If you Google Linux plush, everyone, you're going to see, um, I'm assuming like one of these are what went to Aspire. And, and those are just nice little cute gifts to give out. Um, so instead of, you know, this day and age when everyone's bashing, and I feel like Dan and I have been talking about this too much. But, you know, as people are yelling in Steam comments and things like that, it's, it's cool to see people taking the high road and, uh, you know, doing something nice for a change, sending, sending some gifts and, and asking that way. So... You got what you wanted. It's confirmed. Linux is coming. Steam OS is coming. Um, and I don't know if I saw any dates for that, though. I don't think I saw any hard uh, deadlines. But I'm assuming probably in the next month or two. I, I mean, this is a great news always to like the Linux community. It's a really small but tight community who mm-hmm. loves gaming. And SteamOS is just uh, one of those things that really helps boost the Linux community. SteamOS is running a version of Linux, as far as I know. And that makes it so much more, like, mainstream, which is kind of a thing they're trying to avoid. But still, these are really positive moves for people who use Linux. And as a Linux user myself, I can only applaud more things coming to it. Oh, so you are a Linux user. Then I'm a dual user to be honest, but Okay. 
Yeah, I use Linux as well. Then I want to pick your brain on that because I'm not, I mean, I have joked around with Linux before in the past. Like my friend and I partitioned hard drives just for the heck of it and installed some Linux and just goofed around. But um, so is is there what what is there a reason you would want Civ for Linux? I mean, in a, in a situation like you, you're using two. I'm assuming you're what Windows and Linux. Is that right? Yeah, I'm Windows and Linux. So do you have you're running Civ in Windows? Then I would guess. And then is there a reason for someone like you that's kind of dual booting that you would want um, a Linux copy of Civ six? Or where do you stand? On well, that? my my main boot is always Windows, and I have a virtual machine that mm -hmm. runs uh, Linux for pretty much wherever I feel like poking around in Linux. So for me, there is absolutely no real reason because there is no reason why I would play in Linux uh, because Windows is so much more convenient. But there are a lot of people, people that I know, people I'm friends with who run a pure Linux boot and still want to play this game. And then for them, it's going to be really difficult to get it working oh, yeah. without, uh, without official support. And to those people, this is really good news. Yeah, that makes total sense. I was gonna say, you know, if you if you are doing a dual boot, I would imagine it's significantly easier both on your computer and everything just to be running it in Windows. But totally um, love seeing the support coming out for people that are running a, a strictly Linux build. There, um, I know that you know trying to even when I just had my Mac a couple years ago without a gaming PC, I know that. Doing different boots and trying to run games within virtual machines can be a real headache, especially for a non um, or a pretty noobish person for it, which would be myself. Um, so uh, good to see that official support coming their way uh, to, to, to help out and just fix some of those broken aspects of it, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and even though it's like a small percentage of people, I mean, this is kind of a hardcore strategy game. And those people that use Linux kind of often are also into these kinds of games. So it's very convenient for them to like this be a game to port over to Linux because it's actually a thing they might want. Except like, I don't know, the next Hello Kitty Adventure Island, I don't think that needs to be ported to <laughs> Linux, for example. Are you sure? Are you sure that people don't want that Well, actually, in that case, I might have touched another niche, which also would work well, but <laughs> you get the point. <laughs> okay, we're porting Hello Kitty over to Linux next, everyone. Um, Aspire, <laughs> Aspire needs to get on that, but... Uh, uh, that's great. Um, I yeah, I, I could totally see this. This is a huge advantage for people running Linux. I, I I hope that they get it soon. I know, I know that there is a little bit of a delay between people running the Mac version of Civ Six. You know, when we get an update for Windows, um, one of our awesome people in the community here, Ricky Ede, he runs um he runs a, a Civ Six on a Mac, and I have invited him to a game before or talked about doing some things like that, some some multiplayer stuff, and we had issues where he didn't have a certain patch yet. And to be honest, I'm not even sure um, if we have cross-platform compatibility up for multiplayer for Civ Six. Um, I don't know that off the top of my head. I really don't Me know. Neither. I'm gonna have to research that for next week. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. I know I did cross-platform on Civ Five at some point. Um, I remember being I was actually out here in Los Angeles um, for like an internship sort of thing. I was out here for a summer and I was playing Civ Five on a MacBook uh, with my friend back home, and he was playing on a PC. So I know they had it going for Civ Five. 
But at this rate, it seems like they're a little bit separate. Like we're gonna we're getting our patches for Windows. I'd say at least a, a week, if not a month, before people are getting it for the Mac. So that could create some real cross-platform issues if you're trying to play multiplayer. I can imagine. Um, yeah. What else do we have here in the news? It was kind of a little bit of a slow week here. So um, I, I figured I'd th throw some things. Oh, I do want to thank some people for last week. We had some great write-ins that we had addressed on the show, some listener feedback. Uh, we had Nick write in. He was talking a little bit more about the DLC, I believe. And we also had our good friend in the community, Gustavo. He wrote in. So big thanks to you guys. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, just a reminder that we did talk about your feedback in detail. So make sure you just check that out. I know I just uh, said this, but if anyone wants to write in, our Gmail is civcastpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a nice little link, um, or I should say a nice little form on our website. Um, that's kyledempsterstudios.com backslash civcast. And there you can um, tell us anything you want. It's a nice little form to write in if you've got feedback on just general things about the show, or if you have some topics you want us to touch on, it's a great way to do it. Um, and we've just been having some real fun conversing with the community in that way. Valter, I did want to toss you some questions here that Dan threw at me last week. We were just having some fun uh, talking about the wonders in Civ Six, and he was asking me some of my uh, my three most favorite and useful wonders and some of the, the least useful. Uh, do you have a favorite wonder in Civ Six that you're really gravitating towards in every game or anything like that? So that must be split into two wonders, I would say. Okay. Two that are, in my opinion, standing far and beyond the rest of them as being really, really good, and you would always strive to get them if you're able. And uh, the first one, the one that actually takes the first place, would be the Ruhr Valley. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a thing you do with every city, every game for the whole game yes. producing stuff and it just makes your city do that so much better i mean a flat bonus of 30 percent of your uh, production output is huge oh so big so that it takes the top spot as this is the best wonder in the game if you can get it if you can't get it then maybe you're playing wrong <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do well, have to yeah. admit, it's been pretty easy to get the Roar Valley. It's, um, it is is one of those ones I always pre a lot for. I'm always um, trying to figure out where to stick it. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that, that flat bonus is crazy from it, that 30%. And, and beyond that, it also gets plus one production for every mine and quarry in the city. So if you have a good city with a couple of mines or quarries, it becomes even better. And the 30% is calculated after that production bonus. So actually it's 1.3 in total. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Like that's that's a crazy amount of production. I love building the Roar Valley. It's it, I agree with you. It is one of my staples for sure. And I think you had a second one you were saying there. Yeah, and the second one that I would say is really good comes in kind of the same idea. And that's the Oxford University. Oh. It gives a plus 20% extra science to your city and you get two free technologies. So it's another thing that you're always doing and it's always good for you, researching. And it just gives you a lot of extra research. 
I'll admit, I'm not great at getting the Oxford University voucher. Like, it's, it seems to be, um, it's for me is definitely like an afterthought that I need to start prioritizing more. And I'm looking at it here on the wiki, and I, I see, yeah, it has plus three great scientist points per turn, um, plus two great works of writing slots, plus 20% science uh, in the city, and awards two randomly chosen free technologies when completed. I need to prioritize this guy. And the reason why you might not be able to get this every time, the same for the Rural Valley, is that the AI also prioritizes these wonders very well. Mm -hmm. That makes it quite difficult actually to get them on uh, higher difficulty levels as it should be. Yes, I, I, I agree with where you're coming from there. Uh, um, and, and also I think some of my failure in getting it comes with where I'm trying to place my campus. I run into some adjacency issues with the campus and trying to get the Oxford University because I'm usually trying to place my campus in uh, you know, a rainforest area or right up against a mountain. So traditionally it'll have hills or forests or something right next door. Um, and and the, uh, the Oxford University actually has to be built on grasslands or plains. So I think yeah, some of absolutely. my issue is that I'm not allotting for that extra space there. Not and it is something if, if if you're it is a wonder where you kind of have to make a beeline towards if you if you want to get it because the AI on high difficulties will pick it up before you otherwise mm. and that means also planning for it if you're going for it uh, from an early stage which also includes uh, placements of your districts. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so so from our let's play, or well, yeah, let's just call it our let's play, where you backseat uh, drove me into success there in uh, that game. We, you were teaching me a bit more about where city placement should be in terms of proximity, and I am trying to, you know, rid myself of that mindset from Civ Five that all of your cities need to be max distance away from one another because you're trying to get every single tile for every single city. And you were trying to teach me that in Civ 6, it's more advantageous to build closer together in these tighter clusters. That way, you not only have just proximity to one another in terms of quicker travel or, you know, being able to fire between one another when it comes to attacking enemies. Um, you really started to change my gameplay here because in this game I was playing yesterday with Germany, I was very much taking that that um, that strategy to heart, and it really helped because I was nestled between Poland to my north, and she was coming down south. Um, I was I was more of this kind of like horizontal line of cities, just how it worked out, where there was rivers and mountain ranges, and then I had Arabia on the other side of me. So I had I had uh, <laughs> Poland coming down north, and I had Arabia coming up from the south. And we're only I only have one city in this row, so I'm only one city wide basically um, in, in this line. And it was I, I think it came to your strategy as the help because I, my cities were nestled close enough together that though we only were one city, you know, in width or depth or whatever, we're close enough to really support one another. And so I, I guess maybe I just wanted to talk about that sort of thing a little bit more and maybe how you prioritize your city layouts. Like we're talking about, you know, you're, you're pre-planning to beeline for an Oxford University. We're talking about setting aside some of those tiles. I guess off the top of your head, Valter, if you are setting up your initial couple cities, what are the tiles that you really save for immediately in terms of maybe wonders or even districts? Like, what do you pre-plot when you're first settling something? 
So first of all, I want to say if you are having trouble for anybody listening with the distance, as Carl is saying, like from older ships where you want to have maximum distance between your cities, uh, play Germany. With Germany, it's a great way to learn how to uh, boost your cities for uh, when they're close together, mainly because the Hansa mm-hmm. and uh, the industrial districts, or no, the, the Hansa is the industrial Correct. District. The Hansa and the commercial district work together. They it's do. a great way of teaching. As for what I pay attention to uh, for settling cities is, well, pretty much two things. Where is the fresh water? Mm-hmm. And... Is it four tiles from my current city? So I always want them as close as possible, and that needs to be four tiles away. And I always want them on fresh water, unless there's a really compelling reason for me to not do so. Mm. And that's literally the only... If it has fresh water and I can settle a city there, I will settle a city there. (laughs) I like it. I mean, It's, it's It's that simple, because the city pays for itself in every way. Um, the biggest downside would be amenities, which it can supplement itself with a um, what entertainment district. Yeah, and if you're playing and, as Germany, you can get an extra district for you know without the you know get you get one more district with uh, less population in your city. Oh yeah, Germany became so much stronger with the winter patch again because with the winter patch, a really important change is that. The special districts from civilizations don't come for free anymore. Uh, wait, um, well, maybe I didn't realize. What does that mean, Valter? Can you explain that one a little so bit more? So, if you are, for example, one of the Greek uh, leaders, uh-huh. you had the Agora as your speciality district. Yes. Which meant, since it was a speciality district, that... It was always buildable to you, even if you didn't have population uh, sources for oh. it. But with the winter patch, they took that out. So now, if you want to build as Brazil, the carnival district, for example, you still need population for it, which makes Germany a lot stronger because they get a free district now. And their current district, their Hansa, is not f- like for free anymore. So it becomes even better. Wow. Wow, you just really pointed something out. I totally, I did not even um, notice that change per se. I, I I guess I'd never gotten to the point that it was really weighing on me, that I could only, I, I, maybe I was never really in a game where I could get the specialty district without getting the others to see the contrast. But yeah, like you're saying, right here in the the, the winter patch notes, most it says most civilization unique Districts now require population to construct like normal districts. I, I did think not the know exception that. is Rome with their bath because that's the freshwater district. I right. think there is still the one that you don't need the population for. Wow, that would that would make total sense. Yeah, that's their their what their aqueduct replacement. Um, yeah, it's district. the aqueduct replacement. So that you're right. That makes Germany even more powerful. I didn't realize that. That like, um, so that would be yeah. Like you're saying, Brazil with their um, with their carnival and um, England with the Royal Navy dockyard. I guess they would have been able to build all of that without needing that extra population to do it. And I never realized it that whole time. Wow, good, good, uh, yeah. good, good thing you told me this. It nerfed quite a lot of civilizations. Like the Greeks were really, really powerful already. I think they still are, but they got a quite a substantial hit 
because now the Agora is is not a free uh, district anymore, yeah. which means you don't build it in every city. Wow, that's very very interesting. And I did I, I at, the, at the launch of Civ Six, um, I was very very excited for the idea of certain cities taking on more of a specified role than others. Um, meaning that, and it's it's kind of worked out that way. Not every city builds a campus, for example, like, or, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't build a campus in every city. If I have certain cities that are doing it way better than others, like if they have huge innate science bonuses, and yet my other city, I, I, I want to prioritize a different district, I won't necessarily put a campus there. Now, maybe I'm wrong for doing that. But I, when I first um, was reading up on the Civ Six and you know all this stuff that was just trickling out before it launched, I was thinking that you would have that even to a higher degree. That maybe not every city would have like a commercial hub or an industrial district, and that really hasn't become the case. You know, we really are at a point where every city should have a commercial hub. Um, every city should basically have the industrial uh, zone because those ones are things you can't pass up. Uh, I, I guess I guess I was in under the impression that you know more of that would take place, and maybe this nerf kind of did that in a way. Maybe like you're in saying, a small not way, everyone does. I would does. say it did so, but I think also that in the future, I expect with more content becoming available, I think there will be more districts than there are now, and I think at that point you will start to see more of a deviation mm. uh, uh, towards what a city has. I mean, you, I can already see it on my setup. Like every city does have a commercial hub and a uh, industrial zone. Mm -hmm. but their third one, well, that usually differs to my needs at that moment. And of course, what kind of victory I'm going after. Sure. That makes total well, I mean, sense. It, not every city's third one will be a campus, even if I'm going for a science victory, because sometimes I just need that harbor for an extra trade route, or I need like an entertainment complex for the amenities because I'm running low on amenities, or I want to build a coliseum. That's a good point. I have to say, um, yeah, I'm definitely still learning the ropes of this game, and I, I think that I've actually de... de De, um, decrease the amount of harbors I've built, you know, kind of forgetting about the trade route bonus there um, in favor of, of other districts. And and it is kind of a balance. I, I think you, you said it very well there that, you know, you're really needing to put down your third district um, to kind of complement your victory type and, and what you need at the moment. I very often go for an encampment in ways, you know, we were using... Um, encampments very aggressively in that game on YouTube to really irk the enemy to put it right on their border and um, serve as some strong defensive aspects and and I really was enjoying the camp or the uh, the encampment yesterday using it to block off mountain passes. That's a, a fun oh, way to use that's that. Great. Oh, it. Philip of Spain and I were having a real standoff between this mountain range where. To my detriment, he put a city very nicely in between this mountain range, and it, uh, it, it made it almost impervious. He put a city there. It had hills on the side facing me, so, you know, getting my troops there was a real hassle, and I never ended up taking the city um, by the time I left off in the game. But it is really about, you know, kind of being strategic in your placement of, of these districts and, and where you can put them in different cities. Uh, I did have a and question. I think Oh, I ahead. think that's also where uh, like the speciality of the cities comes in. Mm -hmm. Like 
the the in the commercial zone, industrial zone, fine. Get in in almost every city. But I see the specialization of the city with like the third and the fourth district. What are they going to do with that? Are you going to build the encampment because it's a border city and you want to use it to boost your offense or uh, guard against that civ? Or are you going to focus that city on your victory goal, be it science or culture or whatever? Or are you going to uh, need that comer- uh, that entertainment complex to boost not happiness only in that city, but place it tactically so that other cities in the neighborhood could also profit from it? I think that's the specialization that you were talking about earlier comes into effect pretty much uh, when the city is a little bit more matured, which also kind of makes sense. A city needs to be able to stand up on its own legs before it's able to support a larger empire, so to say. Oh, yeah. Now, you brought up an interesting point as well when you said um, that we might get some more different types of districts in the future, depending on like DLC and stuff like that. Did you have any districts in mind that you'd like to see or that you thought of maybe coming down the road? I'm curious if you had any. Well, I, I, I'm, I didn't really think about it that much, to be honest. No, but that's fair. I can imagine that one of the things that they might add in like a larger, not DLC, but like an ex- expansion, uh-huh. like we had with Brave New World and God King uh, for Civ Five, is like adding or a different layer to the district system or mm. adding something extra to the district system. But my initial thought would be more kind of districts for more specialization to really make you do the choice like what district am I going to put in this city because what I need here and what that could be I unfortunately have no idea I'm curious and I I only have this off the top of my head because we talked about this on the show once before Dan and I just BSing about um, future, future expansions and things like that but uh, going off of Civ Five, knowing how they strongly buffed the um, diplomatic system in the game, you know, when we got Brave New World and all that with the World Congresses and stuff, I'm wondering if we actually get some sort of district that uh, is some sort of political district that – because we right now can build these um, – embassies in your foreign cities, which I think is really cool to be able to build something permanent like that. But I'm almost wondering if you could potentially, if they'd work it in with a tile uh, placement sort of thing, maybe that would be bad if they actually started to implement that in theory. Maybe that wouldn't actually be advantageous to people, but I could see that as something that they might want maybe work into the game of um, I'm sure like the UN, something like that, if that comes back as a wonder, obviously that will take its own tile. But I am curious to see if you would get like a district that does something, maybe it buffs your, um, the envoys that you get. Maybe there's something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And I could also see it as that they make districts of which you can only have one in your empire. Ah. Make them like really... Like what you had was the national wonders before, yeah, and make like national districts, like an, an embassy quarter, for for example, where you literally put all those embassies of the enemy, and it could be used for uh, training your espionage, yes. or get an extra level of diplomatic vision, or some something in those lines. I could totally see those kinds of things happening. 
Oh, that would be cool because you're right. You could, you could probably assign like your spy to go sit in that district, and you know who knows what intel he could pick up from, uh, you know the the city, the, the other civs that have people in your 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 basically uh, embassy district. That would be really cool. Yeah. And I like that idea of like a national district. You only get one of it. That would be very cool to see implemented something like that. And it's also something you have to plan very well. Like I only have one of them. Yep. Districts are non-removable. Where am I going to put this district that's going to stay there forever? I do have a question just for your thoughts on the districts being non-removable. Um, where do you stand on something like that? Like, I, I think that the game's very much built around the idea that, you know, if you if you do misplace your commercial hub, if you stick it in the wrong spot, you're kind of screwed. Like, it was, I mean, usually wherever you put it is not the end of the world, as you kind of talked to me off the ledge in that game. Um, I was paying, I think, too much attention to their uh, innate adjacency bonuses to the point that maybe I was crippling my empire in a way. I was trying to wait and get everything to be perfect, which is unrealistic. You're never going to get the perfect map every time or city placement. But do you yeah. think that um, there's any, do you think that there might be a, a any precedent for that to, to be removed at some point that you could take, a, you know, you could actually destroy one of your emplacements and, um, you know, make a new district there? I... So it's difficult. Um, I feel when you place down a, a district, it should be permanent. Mm -hmm. I think that's not a bad idea. Um, the only thing that I would change, but I know is not like doable, but the way it is implemented right now mm -hmm. is before it's finished that you could change the location because you can so easily make a misclick, yeah, unintentional, and screw yourself over quite big. And I don't like that. But the problem is with it that it's exploitable. And I think that's one of the reasons why it is not implemented that way. Because once you place a district, for example, on a forest style, the forest is removed. Right. You don't get anything for it, but the forest is removed. Now, say you could cancel the construction of the district to place it elsewhere, most likely that forest would still be removed. Otherwise, you would have to know what's underneath and, well... I, th I don't think that's programmed in. So that way, for example, if your city is under siege and there is a unit hiding in the forest, uh, you could just plop your district on there, remove it immediately, and now he's not in the forest anymore and it's easier to get there or something like that. That is a so very good problem point. that's the problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That, that's a that's a very interesting exploit that I hadn't considered. Um but I do think and, you're and totally that's that's right. what they always have to consider once they are talking about these kinds of features. How are people going to exploit it? Because we're Civ players, we're going to try to exploit <laughs> it. It is in our nature to try and find the the best uh, best way around it. I, I think I think you're right when it comes to the misclick, though. That is such a tough um, tough call whenever you accidentally you're, you're meaning to put it here but you place it just one tile to the left I know that there's times um, and this is my own poor planning and not paying attention but and, and and probably me not using those map pins to my best advantage but there's been times when I've planned out something very simple and I, I don't put a pin down because I'm about to put a, a commercial hub there the next turn or something it's just one turn away I can remember that 
oops, I didn't remember it because we went to war or something silly and I plopped down the commercial hub in the wrong spot only to realize it that same turn that I meant to put it, you know, a couple tiles to the left. And that's a real, um, it's almost like an ego hit or something there. It's like, oh man, I knew better than that. <laughs> what was I doing? Oh yeah. And I'm 100% certain that you're not the only one because I've done it as well. Uh-huh. And I know many others have done so with us. And that's the thing that I would like to see, that without exploits available to us, please make us change our choice of districts so we can prevent misclicks. If only like the, the turn that you're actually placing it, that you can uh, then remove it and put it somewhere else or something like that. But please make us move them around before they are complete or something like that because we are stupid. We know we're stupid. And uh, please help us. Yes, I agree with all of that. Please help. We're stupid. Send send assistance. Exactly. Now, I have one more thought on this uh, before we kind of move on and, and start to wrap this episode up. And that is that when it comes to capturing an enemy city... Uh, do you ever find that you get stuck with districts that you don't want? I mean, you know from from you and I talking, I'm I'm not a very strong uh, religious player in this game, and to capture a city that has a holy site doesn't really complement my play style sometimes. Um, so that's one of those districts where I'm like, do I even rebuild this? Am I going to use it? Like it's just kind of taking up space, and it's also wasting what I could turn into, you know, a, another encampment or campus something like that do you ever run into situations like that uh, usually when i'm playing i'm not that aggressive i'm al- ah. always uh defending my cities more than am i checking but i can totally agree with you that there are sites that you take over which are yeah quite quite useless to you with the religious one being the only one that is absolutely useless if you don't play a religious game i would say i think you're right and yeah and with that maybe like if they gave all districts at least a little bit a different bonus or some i don't know maybe when you like Like the encampment as well and the air the arrow port i think it's called uh yeah oh the aerodome aerodome like those are Ones that aren't really useless, but also not really useful. Right. Um, I, and I only I only knew the f- official name because I had the, the, the districts pulled up here. And I have to say the Aerodome <laughs> is one of my favorite districts to build. Um, I love the... Really? It, it is, yeah. I, it seems weird, right? Because it's not the most beneficial, but... I actually really like the, um, is it rapid deployment? Yeah, I think yes. so. It's, it's, it's one of the civics that you need uh, aerodomes for. Yes. Or an aerodome Aer- on another continent, I believe. Let's see. After an airport has been built, the rapid deployment civic research, lands un- land units may be airlifted from airport uh, to another city's airport. That, to me, right. is one of the things that I love the most about basically all Civ games. I don't remember liking it as much in Civ Five, but... And beyond Earth, I loved that you could teleport your units um, with some of those satellites. And I really like that the airport, again, is this uh, very strong way to move your units between other cities, continents, etc. Because I do tend to play a more domination-focused game. And in that way, you know, I might conquer um, this one continent, and then I have tons and tons of tanks or something. How am I going to transport these to the other side of the world? Well... 
Luckily, my Aerodome is ready, and I can just start doing that. Yeah, and I'm usually just content with, if that's the case, I will just take the turns to travel. But <laughs> that's absolutely inefficient way. Uh, the good thing about the Aerodome also is that its buildings also provide production. So I usually, when I build it, it's in the city who also has the spaceport to enhance its production. Oh, see, that's a good point. Yeah, looking here, um, let's see, you get the hangar, and that gives you plus two production. It also does um, plus 25 combat experience for air units in that city, uh, unless you have more um, units housed there. And then let's see, there's the airport one, which is plus three production and another plus 50% combat experience for uh, un air units in that city. So there's really, yeah, I, I didn't even realize that they had the flat production bonus. I don't, I don't build them too, too often, but that's a really good reason to put more of them down in a way. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's still a district and usually I don't, like I don't have the district uh, av uh, available to me. I have them already assigned to more important things like the commercial hub, like the industrial zone. But in the city that uh, I built a spaceport in, which doesn't require po population anymore, uh, I usually have some space left over because it is my strongest city and I'm going to focus on that city because it will need to be able to produce those very important spaceship parts. And then you want all the production that you can get, which an aerodrome can provide you. Same goes for the uh, camp, no, the encampment. Their buildings also provide production. Yes, oh, those, those are very helpful. And a little housing too, I believe, which... True. Um, which is very nice. That has come in and to save me in um, some sticky situations where I'm like almost out of room. It's like, oh, encampment, encampment, pardon me, my encampment is ready to go. So, um, yeah. Yeah, these are these are fun. I could always uh, chat with you about uh, district emplacements, Valter. Uh, oh, there's so much to talk about. There really is, and you have such good insight to it. So I, I really appreciate you coming on this episode and filling in. Um, again, Dan, we hope you're feeling better. Um, and the three of us are going to have to get back on and, and, and do a show soon as well. I know that was our initial plan. So when he got sick, it, it just seemed like, a, you know, the best of – a worse situation, you know, that we could have you on and you and I get another chance to chat on the air about all these cool things. So um, we're, we're, we made it. We, we got our hour's worth of content in here. Let's wrap this bad boy up. I've got a, a silly appointment to go to on Sunday. And then <laughs> I think I might actually be doing some YouTube streaming today. I'm not sure if it's going to be Civ. Like you said, you know, I'm maybe trying to keep myself from burning out a little bit here and there. There are many great games to be played. There are. Oh, you and I were chatting about this, too. I'll, I'll throw this in here at the end of the show. One that I'm really looking forward to. I should also figure out the name of this one before I say it. But um, Quill18 was playing, I think it might be Urban Empire or something like that. Urban Empires, Is yes. Is that it? I'm really yeah. excited for that. That comes out in just a few days. Five, Five days. days from now. Oh. And by that, you can probably tell that I'm excited as well. For I, it. The fact that you knew it off the top of your head, I, I think uh, <laughs> we're very excited. So cool. Urban Empire. You're going to be playing it too. I love it. Definitely. Oh, well, I guess, I guess. Um, so if anyone wants to check that out, Quill 18 has some great playthroughs of it. It's kind of a city planning game, but it's really on the political side of it, which is cool. You're, you're, you're trying to convince um, political parties within your city uh, to vote in your favor. And it's, it's just got like a, a, an interesting twist on the whole city management thing. So really looking forward to that. 
Um, Valter, if you're going to be streaming some of that or, or putting it up on your YouTube channel at any time soon, I'm very excited to see those. And you want to tell people where they can find you on um, Twitter, YouTube, and all that fun stuff? Yeah, real quickly, I'm not sponsored by Clipso in any way, but Urban Empire is on sale at this moment for 50% off. Ooh, so really? check it out. And if you want it, maybe you can get it already. Uh, but for me, you can find me on youtube.com slash C slash Innocentia69, where I make YouTube videos and series. But I also do live streaming on twitch.tv slash Innocentia69. I try to get a more coherent schedule up again. At the moment, I don't have one, but hear more about that soon, hopefully. Oh, yeah. I um, I am very, very excited to see what you're doing. And I, I need to... I'm feeling the split right now between YouTube and, and Twitch, you know, with the, all of uh, that happening. I'm with my limited time. I'm, I'm not on Twitch as much these days. I need to start doing that. But um, I will say over on our YouTube channel that we have for Kyle Dempster Studios, um, just uh, just a few minutes ago, added that button. So you can easily find Innocentius's channel there. Uh, Valter's page is uh, it should be if you go to Kyle Dempster Studios right at the very bottom. We have a Friends of the Network tab and we've got your page listed there. So nice, easy click through for people. Uh, if you're, Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Oh, you've, you've, you're always helping us out you're always on our shows and and doing some great great stuff so i you know i'm always encouraging people to go and check out your content but uh if for people looking to find us again that is kyledempsterstudios.com you can do kyledempsterstudios.com backslash civcast will take you to the page with all of our content including the link to get um He's saying link. I mean to say it has the form for people to submit to get in touch with us. It also has links to all of uh, the podcast location, whether you're trying to get it through iTunes or Stitcher or anything like that. You're going to find a link to it. Uh, we also have links to the Civcast challenge there, which will be updated next week when Dan's feeling a little bit better and can come on the show to talk about that. I am on Twitter at Kyle Dempster 7. The show is there at Civ underscore cast. And Dan is there at Dan the Max. Uh, and again, I'm saying it for the third time. I'm, I'm like a broken record, but we're civcastpodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for a way to support the show and help us out, toss us a few bucks over at Patreon. That's patreon.com backslash civcast. All of that uh, support that we get from you guys is going back into the network directly. So any any money you support just means we can put out more high-quality episodes and buy better hardware for it and just, you know, make our, our little uh, hobby into something a little bit more professional. So anything you guys want to give is a huge, huge, huge help for us. Uh, I think that about wraps it up. We tackled a good amount of stuff in a week that was slow for news, Valter. We we did it. We kicked some butt today. Yeah, it was awesome. I enjoyed it a lot. Well, thank you again for coming on, and we'll we'll uh, chat offline to figure out some some new collaborations for our future. But uh, anyone, you go, you have your info to find Valter. We're gonna put some links to his stuff in the show notes below, um, so you can keep your eyes open for that. And until next week, everyone, just one more turn. You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com. <laughs>